Father, thank you for this time that you have for us to be together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. I pray that uh, you'll guide our discussion, guide our thoughts, guide our comments today, and help us to learn more about you in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we might uh, have to slide an extra week on the attributes of God, so don't worry about that. This is our first time through, and we didn't know how long it would take to work our way through all the material. But as you can see, we're on 29 of 38, so we'll see how we do um, as far as time goes. If we have to go an extra week, we'll go an extra week. That's all right. Um, last week, we were talking about the holiness of God. And uh, just a couple more comments on that, or maybe reiterating comments we made last week. If there's any attribute of God that is the primary attribute that you see in the Scriptures, it's this one right here. Um, God is known as the holy God. And uh, what that means is God is utterly separated from His creation. He's not like anything that we can compare Him to. So if you want to find out what God is like, God has got to tell you what He is like. Usually, when we think of holiness, we think in terms of a moral component. You know, morally God is holy. Or we think of a holy man, you know, that guy with the long beard on top of a mountain that's there for however long he was there. Um, we, think of, we think holiness in terms of that. In Scripture, holiness certainly includes the moral component. But holiness really means to be separate. And in fact, in Second Peter, in First Peter, it says, God commands that I want you to be holy, for I am holy. In fact, one of the commandments we have is to be, for ourselves, is to be holy. And how can we be holy? Well, we're not holy in the perfection sense, right? None of us can hit that. But we can certainly be holy in the sense that we're not to be like the world. We're not to live like them. We're not to think like them. We're not to act like them. And therefore, there's a sense in which we are to be a stranger and a foreigner and an alien in this world. Because this world is not what we are to think like. I, I know as I've gotten older, um, I'm looking at the 5-0 this year, which is ca- uh, sort of catastrophic for me. Now, some of you are just saying, yeah, right, you know, but some of you are saying, boy, I didn't know he was such an old guy. Um, looking at the 5-0 this year, as I, you know, I've seen over my own life, as, you know, as I watch television and things like that, you know, there's just a lot of crud on there that I don't care about anymore. And uh, it's getting less and less that uh, there's good TV shows on. Other than Star Trek, you can always watch that. But, um, but TV shows, there's, just, there's not a lot out there. And I just find myself out of step with the thinking of the world. And you know what? That You're supposed to go there. You're supposed to feel like that. We need to feel out of step. Why? Because we're a holy people. We're to be different than the world. We're to think different. We have different a different world view. We have different values. We're not to think like the world. And God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be set apart, separate from the world. Not in a negative sense. You know, when I was growing up in the Baptist church, we were taught to be holy and, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And it was very legalistic. That's not what it's all about, folks. It's not about a list. It's not about pulling a list out of your back pocket saying, can I do this or can I not do this? It's about being so totally devoted to God that you don't want to do this or that. You no longer desire those kind of things. That's what holiness is all about. To be like Him, to think like God, to have His values, to see things from His perspective. And the only way you're going to get that is in the Word of God, by being totally saturated in the Word of God to understand how God thinks and to ask His Holy Spirit 
to give you the same aspirations that he has. We're to be a holy people because God is holy. God is the Holy One. God is also righteous. We're going to talk about righteous. What does it mean when we say God is righteous, righteousness? God's actions are always in accord with his law, which he has established for himself. This is very important. Who is the lawgiver? God. Is God subject to his own laws? No, if you mean by that the laws above him. Yes, if you mean by that the law is an extension of himself. And to be self-consistent, he is, does everything in accordance with his law. So it depends on what you mean by that. The reason this is important is because in the Jewish mindset, if you go back and look at the rabbinical writings of the Jews in the first century, um, they have a lot of arguments about the law. They used to like doing that. And in fact, they said that in heaven, that the rabbis who make it to heaven actually debate God over finer points of the law. In fact, God debates them on what his law is and how to live by it. In fact, they, they made, and what they have actually did is they made themselves on par, in a sense, with God. And in doing so, they elevated God's law over God himself. Now, that's bad. That's not right. God's law is not elevated over himself. Rather, God's law is an extension of himself. All right? So God does things in accordance with his law because it is an extension of his nature, his character, who he is. And this is a very important statement right here. God does not do something because it is righteous. It's righteous because God does it. That's a very, very, very important concept to understand because that's going to pop up again in the justice of God. What do we mean by that? Well, if God did something because it's righteous, what are you implying in that statement? He can do something that's not righteous, but what are you also implying about righteousness itself? It's outside of him. In other words, there's this force out there, or this thing called righteousness, and God just happens to operate according to it, which makes it above him. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is the definition. He's the universal ruler by which everything else is measured. God does not do something because it's righteous. It's righteous because he does it. So he is the definition of what is righteous. And we've got to be very careful with that. Because just this week I was listening to a series of lectures on the new atheism. And uh, we won't get into the new atheism today. But the whole idea there is the new atheism comes about because mankind is trying to impose our standard of righteousness and justice on God. And when you do that, you're going to wind up in a mess. All right? And the reason you're going to wind up in a mess is because you have the noetic effect of sin, right? Your, your mind is fallen. Our perspective is skewed by our sin. We don't see things the way they are. And so what, when we come along and say, well, I think this is righteous or that is righteous, just arbitrarily, without bringing God into the picture, we have a skewed definition of what is righteous because we are fallen creatures. The same thing with justice. Well, I don't think, that's, I don't think God would do that because it's not just. Well, wait a minute. If God does it, by definition, what is it? Just. Because he is the definition of that. God is the definition of righteousness. He is the ultimate ruler. He's the absolute ruler on which everything else in the universe is measured in terms of its righteousness or not. Righteousness is that which conforms to a standard. God is righteous because he always acts in accordance with who he is. That's what makes it righteous. 
God is the only self-consistent being in the universe. Everything he does is completely consistent within himself. So by definition, what he does is righteous. So whenever you're faced with uh, some kind of situation, we think, well, you know, God didn't do the right thing there. You've got to stop yourself and say, wait a minute, by definition, what God does is right. Now, I may not like it. I may not understand it. He may not, in fact, God may not agree with me on what's righteous or not, but I'm not the one who is the definition of righteous. God is. It's not my definition that matters. It's God's definition that matters. Whether we're talking holiness or righteousness, uh, could we say that holiness and righteousness are revelations of who he is? Yeah, it's, it's an extension of his nature. If you want to find out what God is like, God is all of these things. God is righteous. God is holy. He is the definition of those things. If you look throughout wherever Jesus comes into the Bible, where they talk about the law, mm-hmm. you know, as a young boy, he, where was he found when his parents didn't find him? He was then basically teaching with the scholars of higher knowledge. Right. Again, being who he is, unknown to them. Right. Nicodemus did. Yeah, and looking at the teaching that he came. It shows, I think, that the Jewish law where they were debating and they were of the standard of the God and all above him, that basically in that small paraphrase, when Jesus came to him, that it shows that they understood that the law is not above it, but they need to learn how to. Yeah. When you go back and do a a historical study of the Jews and, and their dealings with the law, you find just how corrupt they had become. They had made the law a sense of rules and regulations. Your heart was irrelevant. Your attitude was not even considered in the whole thing. Did you do the right thing? Did you say the right prayer at the right time of the day? Did you, you know, do the right thing, right ritual before you ate your meal? They had rituals. Remember, they said, why don't you wash your hands like the elders do? Um, it was all about external ritual. And Christ came along and says, you know, it's not all about the ritual. It's about your heart. Where's your heart at? Is it, a, is it murder to stick a knife in a guy's back? Well, yeah, but it's also murder if you hate him. Now, see, they forgot the hate part, but they got the other part right. Is it adultery to just commit the act? Yeah, it is. But it's also adulterous to think about it. And God, in Christ, what he was doing is he's trying to say, you guys have got the law all backwards. You've got it all twisted around. And in fact, here's the challenge. Go back and look at the Ten Commandments. And what you find in the Ten Commandments is not a codification of rules and regulations. It's the codification of a relationship. If you love God, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, are you going to have another God before Him? No, you're not. Are you going to make an idol? Are you going to worship Him or think of Him in the wrong way? No. Are you going to take advantage of His name? Are you going to take His name in vain if you love God? No, you're not. Are you going to spend time with God? Remember the Sabbath day? Yeah, you are. Let's say you love your neighbors yourself. Are you going to kill them? Are you going to steal from them? Are you going to commit adultery with them? Are you going to covet what they have? No. It's a codification of a heart. And that's why when the ruler or when the lawyer stood up and said, Christ, he said, what is the greatest commandment? And Christ said, well, you tell me. 
He said, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Christ said, you got it. Because that's what it's all about. Folks, Christianity is not about the list of rules that you keep. It's about your relationship with the living God. And if you have a right relationship with the living God, the rules will take care of themselves. You don't need a list. They were. And, and what we do, here's the problem. Whenever you set up rules, what kind of rules do you set up? Ones you can keep or ones you can't? Yeah, you set up the ones you can keep, right? You don't set up rules you can't keep. But it goes back to loving loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you love God, all the lists, all the rules, all the regulations, it, it doesn't mean that there are not commandments that we keep, right? We're not saying we throw the commandments out because that God tells you these are the things that make me happy. But if I love God, I want to make Him happy. Well, how do I make Him happy? I make Him happy by having attitudes and, the, and doing the things that please Him. It's the same thing in a marriage. I love my wife, so I want to do things that make her happy. I don't want to do things that make her unhappy. And you know what? I don't need a rule book to tell me how to treat her. Because I love her. And I don't want to... I don't need a rule saying, now don't hit your wife, don't slap your wife, don't beat up the dog. Don't. I love my wife. And I want to do those things that make her happy. And if you love God, you find it's a freeing thing. <laughs> really, it is. No longer do you say, well, am I allowed to go see a movie or not? The question is, what kind of movie am I looking at? And whether it's in the movie theater or on TV or on a video or a DVD or whatever, what am I looking at? Is that pleasing? Is it, would it honor Christ for me to watch that? And if it doesn't, you, just have, you don't have any business watching it wherever you watch it. It's not about where. It's about what you're doing. Yeah. It is. That's what it, it's about loving others. Yeah. The law shows you just how bad you are. And, and, and by the way, there is a place for the proclaiming of the law. Christ said the law, or not Christ, but Paul said the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It, it, was a, it showed us just how bad and how wicked we are and how far short we fall. And quite honestly, none of us in here can keep the law. You, you can't do it. But if you concentrate on loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself, you find that the law becomes not this external list and rules and regulations, but becomes an internal motivation. And, and you can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. All I know, is, folks, is this. The more, the more I grow in my Christian life, the, more, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I love God, the less I want to do certain things, not because they're evil, not because I can give you a passage and a verse to show you where it's wrong, is because I just don't have any desire for that anymore. I don't want to do it. It changes. Take my word on that. As you grow in your spiritual life, your appetites, the things that you like doing, are going to change for the better. <laughs> No. And one of the things we need to do in our gospel presentation is bring people to an understanding of the law of God. And Paul said the law is good, right? Romans chapter 7, the law is good. 
The problem is not the law. The problem is me <laughs> and my ability to keep it. It's not the law is bad. I'm bad. And the law's purpose is to show us just how bad we are. God, God wants every unbeliever to understand just how bad they violated their relationship with Him. And the only way they can know that is to see how far they've fallen short of His righteous standard. They've fallen infinitely short. Okay. Um, so when we say um, the first point there, God does not do something because of his righteousness, rather it is righteous because God does it, um, and sort of in conjunction with the second point, God, like, sort of what my mind wants to say, well, God lies, and that would be considered righteous. But are you, is, this, is this what you're saying, this sort of clarification question, that God could never lie because it's just not a part of him to lie, not part of his nature? Yes. Right. All right. You got it. God cannot do anything inconsistent with his nature. God cannot lie. Therefore, he, he can't lie. <laughs> and God cannot decide one day, oh, I think I'll just lie about this. That's inconsistent with his nature. That's inconsistent with who he is. God can't go back on his word. Yeah, I cannot lie. And remember, we talked about the immutability of God when it comes to his nature, his character. That will never change. Something that's wrong today is going to be wrong tomorrow, and it was wrong yesterday. It doesn't change, okay, over time. Yeah. Yes. Right. It, it's generated from him. It's about his character. And the beauty of this thing, here's the beauty of it, folks. In redemption and in, in our glorification, <clears throat> we're going to be able to keep the law of God because we're going to want to. It's going to be an internal thing. We're not going to be in heaven sitting around looking at all the rules and regulations posted all over the place. We're not going to need that because our, 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 whole, our whole being is going to be changed. And we're going to be in a state where we so are, are so enthralled with the love of God that we wouldn't consider the remote possibility of even doing anything that would violate that relationship. We won't be able to sin, which is a great thing. <laughs> we won't be able to mess it up. And that's good. quite honestly, folks, that's one of the things that makes heaven so wonderful is when we get there, we can't follow it up. And we can't lose it because we made a mistake. You know, there's no tree of good and evil in heaven. <laughs> you got the tree of life there, but no tree of good and evil. We can't follow it up. And because God is immutable and doesn't change, He's not going to change the conditions for those who are going to be there. If you're there, you're there forever. Yeah. Right. All you can do is proclaim the law for what it is. I mean, the, the problem that we have, and you, you pointed out quite right, 
is that we have the psychological mentality today that it's a bad thing to tell somebody they're wrong. And it's the height of arrogance and, and hubris to think that I'm right and you're not. Who am I to tell you that you're wrong? We've got to resist that. And all you can do is bring the Word of God to bear and let the Holy Spirit do the spade work in their heart. But I think we've got to be careful not to try to water the law down or try to minimize it or try to explain it away like we're embarrassed that it's actually there. The law is what it is. And people need to be brought under the conviction of their sin. And the only way to do that is to tell them, the Bible says this, this, and this. And let the Holy Spirit convict them. Now, you've got to do that in a, in a loving manner. You don't, you, know, you're not, you don't want to be caustic and abrasive. But you need to be truthful. In a sense, in a sense, yeah, because the Christian brother should know better, you know. And that's what Paul says. He says, "I'm not telling you to not associate with the unbelievers of the world. You'd have to go out of the world. You have to find an island, and then you've got a center there, which is you. So you can't get away from sin even there." So I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you to just don't associate with the brother who's living in sin and won't repent. There's a difference there. So we need to be gracious. We need to be kind, but we need to be direct. Christ was direct, right? The, the woman taken in adultery, he, he nailed her on that. You know, when people came to Christ, he didn't dance around the issue. He nailed them right at their point of sin. But he did it in a manner that was loving and kind and gracious. And we need to be careful to do that as well. Yeah. I was going to say, too, when you come up to the law, the Bible says, once an unbeliever comes up to the law and whether a, whoever delivers it or shares it with them, it, becomes a, it either becomes... Um, salvation or a stumbling block, you choose either way, but the only one that really can change it, make it not a stumbling block, is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you got to let the Holy Spirit do that. And just to speak and say what it is and what that person, whether God reveals it to him. And, and we need to resist the temptation to try and explain it away or try to water it down. It is what it is, you know, and we need to be direct on that. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge in our postmodern world where nobody's wrong about anything. You know, and, and wrong is a relative term. Well, the scripture is an absolute, and we can't back down on that. We can't acquiesce that. We can't give up that point to the world or they've won. And Christ didn't either. But God, he is completely righteous. He, he always does that which is right. The judge of the whole earth will do right. And we need to trust him on that. And whenever we come come up to something, we think, well, God didn't do something right. We've got to stop ourselves immediately right there and say, no, who am I to question the infinite creator and the one who is the definition of righteous? The problem is not what God did. The problem is my definition of what I think is right. And so I need to recalibrate my definition of right to correspond with what God thinks is right. That, that's what I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Your brother, I think, in that sense, is someone who claims to be a Christian, claims to be a believer. And we'll talk about this later on, but, but the idea of separation, who do you separate from? You know, as a, as, when I was growing up, I was told you separate from unbelievers. You don't hang around with them. Well, Christ hung around with them, right? So you can't do that or you've got to go out of the world. Um, what the Bible does tell us, what the New Testament does tell us, is that if I have a Christian brother who says, I'm a Christian, I love God, and he's living in adultery... I'm not to associate with him. In fact, I'm to call him back to repentance because he knows better. 
Now, what about all those people at work that are living in adultery? They're pagans. What do you expect a pagan to do? What do you expect pagans to do? Sin. That's what they're supposed to do, right? If they're outside of Christ, what are people supposed to do? They sin because that's their nature. So you can't go there. I mean, you can, you can tell them it's wrong and that. But, you know, I wouldn't disassociate myself with people like that. But if I have a Christian brother who says, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, I love the Bible, but they're living in blatant, unrepentant, immorality, sin, I should... Well, that's the whole question. Are they really born again? But they say they are. I don't know that, but they say they are. If they say they're born again, you know, and they're living in sin, I am to call them back to repentance. That's part of my duty as, as part of the family of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you dealing with a woman at the well? Because that means she's not of the best nature. And yet, associating with her shows that he is of no better, but he's loving, but what she does is wrong. She needs to go out of the What we have done is we've made the world our enemy. Now, is the world our enemy? Yes, it is, because they, they don't think like us. But as Christians, we've made them our enemy in the sense that we're always, what do you want to do? We're obnoxious. A lot of Christians are plain obnoxious to be around. And Christ wasn't that way, right? Was Christ an obnoxious person to be around? No, because the tax collectors and the publicans and the sinners came to him. So he wasn't obnoxious. And the Pharisees were obnoxious. In fact, they even taught, they said it is wrong for us to, they taught that they were not even allowed to talk to certain people, even to teach them the law, because they were so sinful. They weren't even allowed to instruct them in the law. That's how separate these guys have become. And they totally missed the whole point. We're to be righteous. Um, we need to preach the law. We need to proclaim the law. But we need to be gracious about it. One of the tricks of us Satan of the enemy is to make us feel embarrassed, ashamed, unresensitive, full of trepidation. Should I say such a how should I say such and such? Now, I say all that to say this. And you're Luke, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I just want to give a word of public support. Thursday morning, I'm walking, because I work at Oberlin. Um, I'm walking into Wilder to go to a meeting. And the OCF students and maybe others uh, as well, who might not really be an OCF, I don't know. They're sitting there praying. I was so exuberant, so overjoyed, so blessed, so like, oh, 
this is happening, and this is students. I wanted so badly to be a student again and jump over there with them. But, but the point is, Jesus, oh, I, I totally thank you for the invitation. I think you might have joined us. The point is, um, Jesus exemplifies, or I should put it the opposite way, they exemplifies what Jesus always was. In other words, being on point in terms of righteousness, holiness, love for the Lord, non-threatening, appealing to a Samaritan woman, appealing to a, you know, all the various sinners he came in contact with, woman caught in adultery, etc., etc. Uh, because he did it in such a gentle, loving, but unashamed, unembarrassed, undefensive way. And just walking through there and listening to those students, they weren't just moment of silence. They were praying out loud. I hate that moment of silence. Anyway, never mind that. But, 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 but they, were, they were just gently, humbly, seriously, sincerely praying. And I was told later on when I was sharing it with uh, a person whom I know to be a Christian, she said, oh yeah, they do that every morning at 8 o'clock. And I said, wow, mm-hmm. that is awesome. So I just had to say that whether it fits with what we're talking about or not. It does. It, it fits in a sense that we need to be authentic and we can't be embarrassed about the Word of God. Um, John MacArthur said the Bible is like a lion. How do you, de- how do you defend a lion? You don't. You don't. What do you do? You let the thing loose. It'll defend itself. It'll take care of itself. We need to let the Bible loose. Just let it loose. It'll take care of itself. Now, we, and if people hate us, let's make sure they hate us not because we're obnoxious, but because we stand for righteousness in a, in a humble, yet loving and uncompromising way. It's what this book says. And you don't need to be ashamed of it. You don't need to run and hide under the counter when somebody comes into the room. When a, 
when an apostate comes into the room, as I know happens at Oberlin College, not that they have any apostates or not. But, uh, you know, when I was taking my religion classes at Oberlin and the professor was talking about second and third Isaiah and all this other kind of gobbledygook, you know, I didn't have to hide under the table and, you know, be embarrassed about my beliefs. You just, look, this is the Word of God. Stand up for it. Let it defend itself. And if they have a problem, it's not with you, it's with this. Just make sure it's with this. That's the point. Make sure that it's not because you're obnoxious. Make sure it's because the Bible says this. And that, that's the thing we need to be careful of. Um, okay. I'm excited about my son goes to public school, sixth grade, and one of his students said on Friday, oh my God, to the teacher, and she said, you, you, I'm not your God, and you have detention on Monday. And I'm really excited to see if this is going to fly or you know, in a public school. Okay. Now we'll see. We're living in a dark world, folks. Justice. Let's talk about the justice of God. What does justice mean? Um, it's defined as God acting in perfect conformity with his own law and character. That's what justice is. And again, notice how throughout this, every time we come across one of these attributes of God, it's always in accordance with his perfect character. He is self-consistent. He's not going to do something that is not just. So, by definition, all right, God does not do something because it is just. Rather, it is just because God does it. Now, I'll tell you what, that right there has great ramifications for our modern day thinking. Because we're filled now, in fact, one of the problems with the new atheism, so basically says if you, you know, your God, if there's a God, which they don't believe at all exists, but if you have a God, your God is a bad God because your God is going to actually send people to hell. He's bad for doing that. Now, what have they just done? When I say that, what have they done? Well, they, they said if there is a God, he's a bad God because he sends people to hell. Yeah, God is not just. Why is God not just? God's not just because he doesn't do what I think he ought to be doing. He doesn't act the way I think he should act. Look, folks, it doesn't matter how you think God should act. God's doing something because it is just. And quite honestly, folks, if God sent every human being that ever lived to hell, he would be what? Just. Because by definition, whatever he does is just. Yeah. Wrong is, is it, I talked to somebody like that. It's like trying to nail a post egg on a tree. They can't, they just don't. You can't get it, you can't get them to stick or jello on a tree, I guess. Um, and basically what it came down to is, well, you know, I asked her, I said, well, what makes murder wrong? I mean, you're telling me, you know, there's no absolute justice out there. There's no absolute sense of right and wrong or no absolute right and wrong. What makes murder bad? She said, well, it's not nice. I said, well, why do you mean it's not nice? Define that for me. Well, most people think it's not nice. I said, oh, okay, so we just take a vote. So if most people think it's okay to kill people, murder would now be okay, right? Well, no, it's still not nice. You, you couldn't nail it. You couldn't get them nailed down. Right. They do. And see, that's the thing to understand. Here's... And, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get two hats because you've got to have your God hat and you've got to have your human hat. 
when you look at this stuff. I'm going to illustrate with two hats when I talk about these things. Just to help you understand it, you've got to look at it from two perspectives. The Bible teaches very clearly that the reason you go to heaven is because God chose you. We'll talk about that later. But the Bible teaches this too. The reason you go to hell, the reason people go to hell, they reject God. And that's throughout the Scripture. Mm-hmm. And he walked around every day with help. And then one day, you know, that poor beggar died. And then the rich man died. Right. Find himself in hell. He's in hell, he looks up, he can see that beggar looked up. Right. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Can you give me water? And the symbolism of that was he asked for water, but he never asked, Forgive me and take me, take me there. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about that whole topic. Don't worry about what we just sort of hinted at here. We're going to get to that. That's going to be a, a, a fun discussion, the sovereignty of God in salvation. But the reason we bring this up here at this point is this justice component here. People do not go to heaven because they refuse God's grace. They refuse to believe. And God is perfectly just and sending them to hell forever. You say, that's not fair. Well, now, wait a minute. What do you just said? If you, when you say that's not fair, what have you just done? I'm more fair than God is. I have a better sense of justice than God does. It's my definition that matters, not His definition. Folks, He is the Creator. His definition is the only one that matters. He does things because it is just. He doesn't do it... I mean, He is the definition of justice... He doesn't do it because it is just, because if he did it because it is just, then justice is outside of him, and it's not. So whenever you see God doing something in Scripture, you need to automatically understand at the starting point that what he did was the right thing. When he killed Ananias and Sapphira, was that the right thing to do? Absolutely. You say, wow, he's pretty harsh on them. No, he was just to them. Why didn't he kill you this morning on the way to church? Why didn't he kill you when you lied to him? Look, we all have, haven't we? Why aren't we dead? Grace, mercy. God does what is just because it's his nature to do that. And see, this is the thing. In eternity, when, when, when the great white throne judgment rolls around and the books are open, Every person who finds themselves in the lake of fire will understand that they deserve to be there. There's not going to be any question as to their guilt. And that's why the Bible says every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty before God. You're not going to sweet talk your way into heaven. You're not going to be able to pull the wool over God's eyes. Because God not only is a God of justice, He's also a God that's omniscient. And He knows every reason that you did, everything you did and why you did it. And there's no hiding from that. People can get away with murder in this life, right? O.J. probably got away with it. You agree? But he's not going to get away with it in the eternal grand scheme of things. Nobody gets away with anything. Yes, sir?
And, 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 and I, am, I, am, I know where you're coming from because it is hard to accept. It's hard to accept. All you can do is say, well, what does the scriptures say about this? The Bible, I think, says that if all of us were in the garden, all of us given the opportunity, what would all of us have done? Eaten. Um, the Romans 5. Go through Romans 5. Um, talks about that. Um, in Adam, we all sin because we would have done the same thing. Um, and, and, the, and we are... You've got to understand that um, if God does nothing, if God interferes at all and does nothing at all in our lives, where are all of us, what are all of us going to do? Well, we're all going to die. We're all going to choose what? The wrong thing. We're all going to choose sin. All right? Right. It's hard. It's it's hard to get your head around that, and, you know. And I understand your struggle. And we're going to talk about this a lot more in a later course on sin and, and salvation. We're going to talk about this whole thing and really explore. If we explore it now, we'll never get done with this. But we are going to get there. But yeah, it is. Just understand what you need to go back to is is you got to hang your head on certain things. And one of the things is. Whatever God does is just. And even if it appears unfair to us, and even if it appears unjust to us, it isn't. It isn't. Is God, here's a question, was God just, how can I put this, I don't want to get too far down this track, but was God just in forgiving me? It was mercy, wasn't it? It was mercy. Alright, justice is, Everybody goes to hell. Mercy is, not everybody goes to hell. I provided a way. I provided a way for my justice to be satisfied. God's justice to be satisfied. And me to be forgiven. And how was that? Through Christ. Through His death. against all things because they're trying to figure out what they don't understand what's going on. 
rebellion is no different than us. Mm -hmm. Because we're in our evolutionary state of childhood. It isn't until like you start noticing as you get older, you have a deeper understanding of what's going on. You start seeing that hand that you can't explain doing things in your life. Then I start looking at it going, that's how I start noticing that you are insignificant. Yeah. Because how can you explain the things that happen in perfect sequence? And just And we don't see things the way he sees them. And so, you know, when we talk about this, and I understand your frustration because sometimes you look at the just and say, I just don't understand how God can be just in this. We've got to go back to the definition. Remember, I trust, I take his word on this. I trust that he's going to do the just thing. Whatever God does is just. And even though it doesn't appear that way to me, even though I may struggle with it, and I do, I have to, at the end of the day, go back and say, God... I believe what you said about yourself. You're, you're just. You will do the right thing. I looked at it, um, I was thinking about this topic during the week, and it just came to mind that a lot of times we look at our parents and we see how, uh, as we grow up, how really inadequate they were in raising us, how to make mistakes is what I'm talking about. And you can't ever Yeah, and that's the hard thing. We just we got to take his word for what he says, and he says, "I'm going to do the right thing. I always do the right thing," and you just trust him on that. Chantel. God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight, right? Well, what is faith? Trusting what He says. Just believing what He says. When God says this, say, okay, God, I believe that. I don't understand it. I may never understand it. I believe You. I believe what You're saying is right. And help me, you know, help me maybe understand it. But even if I don't, 
I'm going to do what's right. What did Job say? Even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's what, that was, that's what brings God joy. God, if you want to bring God joy, just believe what he says. Yeah. Yeah. Or not. And and you have to make and that's what faith is. Faith is just trusting God for what he says in spite of our inability to understand it, maybe, or to put it into into our framework. The Bible also says God is truth. If you want to know what truth is, where do you go? God. There is no other source of truth. Alright? Um, truth is not what you think truth is to be. Right? In fact, uh, the Bible says, Thy word is truth. So if you want to know what truth is, you go to the word of God where you're going to get your definition of what truth is. You don't go to what the latest fad is out there in that you find on the television talk shows. God's revelation does not deviate from reality. What the revelation that God has is true. All of it is true. God, and by the way, it goes back to this. God can't lie, right? Now, why does God... It's interesting when you look at the Old Testament. One of the things that God prohibited is that we go to, you know, sorcerers, to, you know, the, the fortune tellers and things. You ever think, you know, one reason why God didn't do that? Is Satan going to ever give you the right answer? No. <laughs> He's a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. Any, here's the point. Any source of truth you go to outside of the Word of God, outside of God Himself, is going to lead you the wrong way. You want to know what truth is, the Bible is going to tell you what is true and what is not because truth is bound up in the very moral character of God. He cannot lie. He cannot lead you astray. He cannot deceive you. God is not deceptive. He doesn't understand that concept. He can't lie. God cannot lie. God will never deceive or lead anyone astray. Now, just because God is true doesn't mean He's going to tell you everything, right? Right? He doesn't give you every answer. But He won't lie to you. What God might do is say, you know, I can't tell you that because if I did, you wouldn't understand it anyways. You're not ready for it. It's just like we use the, you know, the illustration of raising kids. You know, when your kids are three and four years old, you give them the full facts and information of how to live life. They can't figure it out, right? Even if they don't understand that. They're not ready for it yet. You've got to wait for them to grow. And it's the same thing with us spiritually. God can't give us all the answers right out of the gate. In fact, sometimes he gives us answers later on in life as we mature spiritually to the point where we can understand things. He'll give us more information. He'll give us a deeper understanding. But that, Because when we say God is true, it doesn't mean he tells us everything at once. Sometimes he will withhold information, but he won't lie. God, did anybody know when, God's going to, when Christ's going to come back again? No, nobody knows that. Don't read any... Any, any time you're ready to find a book that says they figured the date out, just use it for kindling. Don't even buy it. Just use it for kindling or whatever. Um, because you can't figure that out. God's not told us. So what do we need to do? I'll trust Him. 
I'll be ready at all times, and I'll take his word for it that he knows what he's doing, that he has the right date down, that um, what he's going to do is right, so I'll just, I'll just take him on that. And by the way, God demands truthfulness for all who name his name. God demands us to be true. And one way for us to be true is when we come to God in our prayers, don't make excuses, right? The Bible, I, 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 I've heard somebody say this, God can forgive you for all your sins, but none of your excuses. And what does it mean to confess your sin? What it means to confess your sin, the Greek word homo legeo, to say the same thing as. When I come to God and I confess my sin, I'm telling God the same thing about my sin that God is saying about my sin. I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying, I'm sorry, but I had a bad hair day today. I'm sorry, but I was tired and, and, and you know I should slide on this one here. Uh-uh. You say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. And one of the problems that we have as human beings is our heart is our heart truthful? No. Jeremiah seventeen nine, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We can't even trust ourselves. You realize that. You can't trust yourself. So what you need to do is you need to go to God and ask Him to help you be true to yourself. And, and we need to be, by the way, I think this is something important. We need to be people of truth. And part of that fits into this whole idea of integrity, right? Being what you are. Don't change what you are depending on what audience you're in. Be yourself. Did Christ ever do that? Christ was the same wherever He was. He was true. And God is true. And God's Word is true. And God's Word is the only source of truth. And we only got through three slides before. If you think like to the flesh, you're going to think wrong. You see that again? That's the noetic effect of sin, right? Because we're fallen, we can't think correctly about moral, spiritual things. The only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us an understanding of the mind of God. And, we, and by the way, folks, something we should strive for and something I pray for a lot is I ask God, help me to see things the way you do. Now, I'm not going to ever perfectly hit that, right? But I can want that. I can desire it. I can aim in that direction. And I think that's what God wants us to do. Um, well, hopefully next week we'll knock off the rest of this here. We're just, and we're, we're, we're pretty much on track. Don't worry about it. We might slide a week here or there, but we'll get there. Um, we don't have class, I think, on Easter Sunday because I think they don't have any ABF. So we're going to skip that one. So we've got two more than Easter Sunday. So this is, this is the first one of the next handout. So don't worry about it. We'll get them. All right? Okay, well, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time and for the great discussion we've had. And uh, admittedly, Father, there are some things here we're talking about that in our human frailty and our human understanding we're not going to get fully. But at the end of the day, I pray, Father, that we will be able to look up at you and just say, Father, I don't understand this, but I trust you. I trust what you've said. I believe it even though I don't get it. And uh, that we would be people of faith, Father, that we would just trust what you said. That's, that's, that's what pleases you, to just believe you even when we don't have all the information that we may like. And we just thank you for this opportunity to be challenged and to learn from you. In Christ's name, amen.